Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2,441. Today we're going to go on a journey and talk about Enzo Ferrari with an author who's very tightly connected to Ferrari, the history of this spectacular man, and he's sharing a book from our friends at David Bull Publishing. Can't wait for this talk. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm in Kentucky, but I really should be in Italy with this guest. We're going to have a lot of fun. His name is Luca Del Monte. Luca, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have it in gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? I certainly am, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very, very, I'm ready. I'm ready. Well, I'm excited to talk with you today. And before I introduce you and we dive into a massive undertaking you took on, a wonderful book, I always ask my guests this question to kind of break the ice a little bit. What's one little thing that maybe people don't know about you, Luca? Well, a lot of people don't know that I I'm in Kentucky today because I'm back in 1982, 83. I, I was in, in Omsboro, Kentucky as an exchange student. Uh, when I was younger, I dreamed of being a journalist. I wanted to be like a big, big journalist, not necessarily automotive or sports. My ambition was to be like a, one of those big foreign correspondents. And foreign from, from Italy to me meant New York or Washington. So... It's in, the, in those days, there was no journalism schools in Italy. Journalism was not taught in school. So what I what I decided to do was to try to get my education here. And, and I was able to actually, my, my parents were kind enough to be convinced uh, to let me come. So I came here as an exchange student. I did work for the Apollo High School newspaper, then eventually for the Kentucky Colonel, which is the University of Kentucky's great paper. Then I switched to political science and, and American history as majors for my BA. But my ambition was to become a journalist. And Kentucky, or the U.S. through Kentucky, was my way up to make a career in Italy. You know, I come from a small town, which is very famous in the world for violins, you know, Stradivarius was from Cremona, and then a num num number of other guys from the uh, 16th and 17th centuries. But it's a small town. And like, you know, in Italy, if you don't grow up in Milan or Rome, you just don't get to the, to the big newspapers or the big television stations. So I wanted to do something that would make me stand out in some way. So that's why I came to Kentucky. And uh, I'm very happy that I did. And I went back and then... I started to work in, in, the, in the press office, and I did all of my career in PR. But writing has always been you know, something that's been very, very dear to me. So uh, maybe because I did not become a journalist, I cultivated my passion for writing. And, that's, and so that's how... I guess I became an author. Well, I guess so. Yeah, and an author you so. did. That's for sure. Well, I will introduce you here, and we're going to dive into a particular subject that is near and dear to all automotive enthusiasts, and that would be Enzo Ferrari. So here we go. Luca Del Monte is a senior public relations executive for luxury brands in the automotive sector turned best-selling and award-winning author and a top-level experience in communications for Ferrari and Maserati, a key member 
and the communication strategist of the team that brought Maserati back to the United States and later relaunched it as a worldwide brand in the United States for probably what is what one of the most dramatic company turnarounds in recent automotive history. At Ferrari, during Michael Schumacher's record-breaking five-in-a-row Formula One World Championship titles, Luca was in a privileged position to witness firsthand sports history in the making. So he's got relationships with Ferrari as well. He is the author of 13 nonfiction and three fiction books. And today, Luca shares his newest book titled Enzo Ferrari, Power, Politics, and the Making of an Automotive Empire, published by David Bull Publishing. We're going to learn a lot more about this book and maybe some things about Enzo that we don't know, but first a word from our sponsors. So please give them a little love and we'll be right back. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. Their talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and firsthand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up way up, but my usage was the same and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So what's with that? So I turned to American Collectors Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collectors Insurance. I shopped around, I asked friends for recommendations, and found a winner that I can trust. And boy, I'm glad I did. I saved hundreds of dollars every year and slept better at night knowing my baby was properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by their history of taking great care of their clients. What could be better than that? So give them a call and ask for a quote today. 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. And protect the ones you love like I did with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. Hey, guess what? Some of you regular listeners will remember back in 2019, I created uh, 10, 11 shows called Cars Yeah TV, where I went to some fabulous locations of past Cars Yeah guests, and we did a TV show about it. Well, they're up on the Cars Yeah YouTube channel. So go check it out at YouTube. Just type in Cars Yeah, and the shows will be there for you to enjoy. I hope you have fun watching. Luca, now, before we dive into this, I want to set the stage a little bit, because before becoming a full-time writer, uh, you headed global public relations and press department for Maserati, Ferrari, Maserati North America, Pirelli Motor Racing, Toyota Motor Italy. My goodness, my friend, you have been all over the place. But this book... This thing is huge, by the way. I think it's close to a thousand pages. I was doing some um, some curls this morning with it in my morning exercise routine. Um, I would love for you to talk about undertaking something like this because you didn't just, I mean, hundreds of books, I don't know, maybe a thousand books have been written about Enzo Ferrari, but this one is immensely in depth. So let's start at the beginning. Why did you decide to take on this subject matter? 
Well, I, I did because I felt that there was a need for such a book. You know, I, I was looking, I would have loved to read this book. Instead, what, what I kept reading were just accounts of his life, you know, told in different ways, but basically addressing always the same points, which, by the way, most of them were actually, you know, those points that Enzo had raised himself in his wonderful 1962 autobiography. But of course, you do know that any autobiography, especially in those days, was very biased. You know, you, you, yeah. did, you didn't, you wouldn't. Today, it's kind of different, actually. But in those days, you you chose to tell only whatever you wanted to tell, right? <laughs> exactly, it was a wonderful way to you know to perpetrate yourself into the future without you know people asking any questions. So, so anyway, but I mean, my idea was always positive. I didn't want to write to come up with anything necessarily negative. That's got to be understood you know i was and still am a fan of enzo ferrari this is why i did this but i wanted to 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 get to more stuff i wanted to go deeper get him and get under his skin try to see what it was actually like the big problem which is not a problem of those who made those researched researchers and wrote those books it's a, it's a practical problem you know a book is normally 300 pages long because there is a price there's a cost issue to be considered. I was lucky enough that I was able to convince my Italian publisher, Giorgio Nada, to let me go, you know, let me write, you know, otherwise this is going to be just another book. And I, and I remember, like, I was still nine months before publication, I was still writing, and and Giorgio, my, my publisher, was uh, at the Frankfurt Book Messe, the book fair in, in, in Germany, which is possibly with London, the one of the two most important in the world, and he had some interest from you know international publishers. So he called me and says, "Look, how long will the book be?" And I said, "Well, George, it's about eight hundred pages now. You know, <laughs> I still have stuff stuff to write." Yeah. And so he said, "But how much?" I said, "Well, I don't know." But I said, and I said like a thousand. <laughs> and on on the phone, he said, "Okay, please, okay, go ahead, one thousand." Not a single page more, or I'm going to be broke. Yeah. If you... <laughs> yeah. So actually, the book ter- turned out to be 1100 <laughs> It was a massive investment, but what we were able to do with that book, because of its length and research and depth, was to sell the international rights into many languages. Mm. You know, English language to David Ball, and now to Ashet Group, Octopus in the UK, uh, but now we also have the Spanish, Spanish language, German, French, Romanian for some reason, which wow. is a, but also Russian. Oh. This book is going to be translated and published in Russia uh, next spring. Nice. The fact is that Enzo Ferrari knows no boundary, and people still think of Enzo as if he was still alive. It's incredible. He's been dead for 35 years. Well, the book, like the man, begins with controversy. Enzo's real birth date. And I love that about this book because it sets the tone for going in-depth. And the man really was a combination of so many things, an enigma, a a controversial figure, larger than life. One of these people that, do we really know him? Are these just stories that keep getting perpetrated and over and over? And like, you know, the story we all, the story with he and Lamborghini, what's real, what isn't real? So the fact that he is really still a mystery. I feel like you've pulled back the onion a little further here, maybe a lot further. So can you talk a bit about 
when you get into this, and you have ties with the Ferrari factory, so your ability to go into the archives, and I've been at the Ferrari factory. I was there for three days during at their Cliente division uh, mm-hmm. with, uh, with a friend who was buying a new Ferrari F1, and we got to go in and look at, this car was a Michael Schumacher car, but he also ended up oh. buying a, uh, a Niki Lauda car, an older car, and we got to look at the notes that the, you know, Nikki was writing about the tests of the cars. and I mean, the stuff they have there, so... yeah. I guess where we start here is just with the man, obviously, and and the mystery that the man is. So, and ask you to talk a little bit about your views of who Enzo Ferrari really was. This could take an hour in and of itself. Well, but, th- well, th- th- this could take days, actually. My wife says that the only problem with me is when I start writing, talking about Enzo Ferrari is making me stop. Uh, It it still is today one of my favorite subjects. Now, he's a very, very complex individual, which is something, of course, that I knew before getting into it. But then when you you have a chance, the way I did, to speak to a lot of the people who had been very, very close to him on the the family side, on the business side, on the company side, it is incredible the complexity of this this man. You could never take it for granted. No, it would always surprise you. I mean, like, this is one of my favorite anecdotes to tell. In, 19, in 1988, okay, six, seven months before he dies, he's being given, he's being given like a honorary PhD by the University of Modena. Okay, he's very, he goes and to accept the diploma, he's very, very feeble. Uh, they hand him a microphone and it looks like he's not going to talk because it's just, just a week. And then, and then he finally grabs the microphone and says, like, talks for like two minutes. And in those two minutes, Enzo Ferrari, who had never been to America, quotes President Woodrow Wilson, who apparently at the beginning of the 20th century has said, and I did not find this quote, by the way, by President Wilson, but doesn't really matter for my story. Enzo Ferrari quotes Woodrow Wilson saying that the 20th century would be the century of the automobile. So here you are, six months, he's, he's going to turn 90 in two weeks. He's going to get this big degree from, from his university, from his hometown university, and he's being revered for his car business and racing. And he quotes Woodrow Wilson. Amazing. He doesn't quote Franklin D. Roosevelt. He quotes Woodrow Wilson. Nobody in Italy knew yeah, who's Woodrow he? Wilson. And he <laughs> exactly. But Interferi did and did quote him. Why? Because of the automobile connection, of course. But really? I mean, like, it's incredible. So he, is, he was real good at throwing people off all the time. Totally. Was that was that part of his, I won't call it his game. Oh, yeah. Because he was much bigger than that. Was that just part of his way oh, yeah. of perhaps controlling? Well, he could cry at command if he wanted to. I mean, like, he was like, it was like in, like in Maserati quarters, he saw hostile quarters versus Ferrari, they would call him, um, they they had nicknamed him Zacconi. Zacconi is the last name, the name of an actor, of a big modern actor of the turn of the, sw- of the century. It is just to stress his uh, his acting um, capacities, cap- uh, capabilities. You know, he could, he could cry at command if he wanted to, if he thought this would serve a point. Um, but, but what I'm saying is, it's the, I think what, it, what is incredible that that emerges from Enzo Ferrari that he lived a life full of tragedies, you know, personal tragedies, you know, company tragedy, the drivers, his son, of course, uh, um, his wife being, you know, ill for a number of years. And yet, I think Enzo was an optimist. He always saw the light at the end of the tunnel. And this is incredible to think about it. 
the, the Mila Miglia ends with a 1957 crash that Michael Mann talks in this beautiful movie. Um, but after the crash, he's, he goes under trial for manslaughter. And the trial goes on for four years. And yet, he seals the light at the end of the tunnel. In those four years, because of other deaths, the Catholic Church at one point wages war against Enzo. And the Catholic Church in late 1950s Italy was moved public opinion. And yet, and yet he did not falter, he did not quit, and he, and he won because he was acquitted, of course, in the trial. And, and, and eventually the Pope, 30 years later, came to visit. Unbelievable. Only Enzo Ferrari. Yeah, it, it's incredible. There's a new film coming out. And by the way, on the 20th, the gentleman who's uh, responsible for all the stunts and driving in that movie is going to be a guest here on Cars. Yeah, Robert Nagel. Yeah. And I don't want to diverge too much into that, but I just wonder from your perspective, having taken such a deep dive into Enzo's life, and I had a few people ask me this that knew you were going to be on the show here, Michael Mann and Troy Kennedy Martin, Adam Driver as Enzo Ferrari. What are your thoughts? Everybody's asking me this question. I know, I know. I'm yes, sorry. <laughs> yes. No, 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 this is fine. What I'm saying is, yes, Enzo Ferrari was a very tall guy. Oh. Everybody says, you know, you know, Adam Driver is not only a great actor, but he's also a very tall actor. Sure. But so was Enzo. Say Enzo was something, was over, I think it was like 195, 1 meters, 95 centimeters, which is like 6'2", 6'3". In, in Americans, you know, I always, you know, physically, and of course, I, I never met George Washington, but if you go to Philadelphia and there's like next to the independent, Independence Hall, they have this big room with all the statues of, of the founding fathers. And Washington is bigger, taller, and thicker than all the others, but not because he's the number one president or the father of the country, because he was physically big. Mm -hmm. And so was Enzo. I mean, Enzo became very thin in the very last four or five years of his life in the 80s, but he's always been quite thin, and he's always been very, very tall, actually taller than the average Italian of his. Right. Well, 190 is even taller than the average Italian today, but right. he was a very tall guy. Yeah, he was very tall. So I don't I think Adam Driver was a good choice. Yeah, yeah. he was tall. <laughs> very good, very good. Yeah, I have uh, friends up here in the Pacific Northwest that have had some very substantial cars, one being John Shirley, who had a 375 oh, yeah. that was built by Scaglietti, and the, the, the famous car, one on the one on the lawn at Pebble Beach as a post-war car. And remember, I got to drive that car when it was first restored by Bush Dennison and Pete Lovely, and before it was restored a second time and went on to win. And I sat in it, and I remember John saying, I went, how do you drive this thing? And I'm not that tall. And he goes, yeah, it's made for small Italian men. <laughs> and that's, that's the way it is. And he goes, you know, if you have big feet, good luck in the foot pedals, uh, because it's designed for that kind of person. I like to ask my guests about inspirational people in their life. And let's stick on the person here, Enzo. If I was to ask you, why was Enzo Ferrari so inspirational to the people that he touched the cars he built, the influences that he had, his racing attitude. Why was he such an inspiration on top of being a very challenging person to get to know? Well, because, I, you know, because he had made his company his own religion, I think. When, you know, it, like, and so, again, it's a different kind of Italian from today. So in those, but in, in those days, 
you know, there were still people who bought fancy cars or yachts or even or even planes or even villas on, on the Alps, on the, on the French Riviera. He did not. Everything that basically he made, he reinvested in his, in his company. So there was a total dedication. So I think that, I think that you know, in, in so many ways it was like when, when I worked with Mr. Montezemolo, you know, when he was my president at Ferrari, you know, for, Montezemolo, of course, was a very different, is a different, very, very different man. For me, so he has very different in, interests, of course, even business interests in life. He loves the art and, and, and many other things. But uh, by and large, he's totally, when he was at Ferrari, he was totally focused on the company. And, and, you, and you sense, you, you do sense that, you feel that. And you you become part of a whole which is larger than you, and that you are proud to be part of. And the same was with Enzo, even more so because you know Enzo started his company from nothing. Yeah, well, I've been to the Ferrari factory three times now, and I got to kind of go inside because I was doing business with them. We were importing products that were marked by Ferrari, the logo and all of that. That was my first venture. And then I mentioned that time at the Clienti program and getting to go inside. And every time I was there, there was a sense of reverence for the brand by everybody there. It was just this overwhelming sense of this is our idol in a way. It's. Uh, I remember, like when I went to do my like my job interview, in uh, in the spring of two thousand and one, and by then I'd been in the, in the automotive business for like ten years. I'd been with Peugeot, as you recall, Toyota and 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 motor Pirelli motor racing. And yet, when I pulled in to do my interview, it was like late. It was like mid March. Was like five o'clock in the afternoon. So it was, the sky was already dark, and there's this uh, yellow Ferrari type on the wall right there at the entrance, the, the historic entrance on Via Betone Inferiore. And I was, I looked at it and I realized that I was actually in the parking lot of Ferrari to do an interview and that, and I could possibly get a job. Right. And I had goosebumps. Oh, I mean, yeah. like, you know, and, yeah. I, and I still do that right now as I'm telling you this story because Ferrari is, uh, is not, there are many great companies around, but there is nothing, especially if you're a car guy or an enthusiast that compares to Ferrari, not only because of the cars that, it, that they make, not only for the car, for their for, for the incredible racing history, but also because of Enzo Ferrari. It's incredible. I mean, like working for Ferrari was like, especially working for Ferrari in the US the way I did, was like being like almost like a, another ambassador of Italy, right. outside of Italy, you know, or at least of the best of the made in Italy. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. I, I would imagine... I'm not sure what it is now, but I know back then the logo that was best known worldwide with the highest brand value as far as perception was Ferrari. Oh, yeah. The Cavallino, yeah. the horse, the name. Yeah, it, and it, I assume it's still the same way today. I would say that even people that don't aspire to have a Ferrari still have a secret passion and love for the brand just because of everything around it, which takes me back to the man. Because we've got to stay on task here, and that's Enzo. And I ask about what I call our challenges that are great learning opportunities. I guess we could go two ways here, and I'll let you go either way that you would like. One would be, what was your biggest challenge in putting this book together? Especially since you've written so many books, you know how it works. Or, given all the challenges Enzo Ferrari faced, what did you learn was his most serious challenge in his life? building his brand. So you, you take either one of those any direction you'd like to go with it. 
Well, I can I can answer, I guess, both. Uh, my biggest challenge was to make sense of all the information that I was gathering. It took me like eight years uh, to research for the book. You know, I started to write, I, I began to write on year three of my researches. So then I, 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 I researched and wrote for five years. Wow. But, my, my, but, but my, my research had started three years earlier. And actually, I'm happy to say that my very first interview was, was at Pebble Beach 2004 with the great Phil Hill, who was a very good friend uh, through Ferrari. And he was actually the first guy who sat down for, a, for, a, for, a, for an interview for my book. But after Phil, I've interviewed about you know, 40, 45 people, and most of them many, many times. Because when you when you start when my my challenge was to as I said before I was trying to get into into his life you know again I did not want to be part of any secret but I wanted to understand the kind of man that he was so I concentrated on three people you know his longtime press officer Franco Gozzi uh, Carlo Benzi who had worked with him from 1946. 1969. Then in '69 he had moved to Coca-Cola, Italy, but he had become a friend, and he manages all his personal finances. Not because I wanted to know anything about his personal finances, but because he he actually managed his life and all the funerals and everything else. And then his second and last chauffeur, the driver who never drove. And uh, I was working. I was I was working in Modena because I was working at Maserati at this time, and they all lived in Modena. At one point, I was like talking to them like twice a week. You know, they were not like sit down interviews anymore. They were just chats among, I wouldn't say friends, but certainly people who kept each other in high esteem, knowing, of course, that I was going to record and write these things. And, uh, and, and, and so I, I, you know, I, my challenge was to try to, to get to know Enzo. And once I got all this information, as, as I said before, I certainly it was to try to make make sense out of all of this because you know one thing is doing research and then another one is to be able to to use to good profit all the research that you made and i have 22 you know notepads that i keep in a okay exactly with all my notes because like especially when i would go to the to the library, you know, you go to the library and and, and you don't only talk to, to people, you don't only go to archives, but you also go to libraries and look at, uh, you know, Italian daily newspapers in the 1920s and 1930s, because there is so much that was, you know, recorded in those days. Oh my God. And uh, I mean, I lost a couple of dietaries on my site because, you know, and, and I, I did not wear glasses when I started to write. I was actually younger, <laughs> so. That's a different story, but yeah. you know, it, it's it's like you know going on 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 the you know the microfilms and all. Oh those yeah, machines. having to yeah, yeah the you have the magnifying glass trying to read all of the microfiche. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But I remember like spending days or mornings at the like Saturday mornings. I would go to the there's a big library in Milan, and maybe like I, I stay four hours and come up with nothing, which was not necessarily a waste of time. I knew that like let's say. The first six months of 1926, nothing had been recorded about Enzo Ferrari. So that was a good day, even if I had come up, come out with nothing. That's the that's the kind of crazy research that I made. <laughs> oh so I, I actually, I, I made a vow to myself: say never again write a biography. 
Well, so what I'm saying is, I'm I'm doing something a little bit different now for a about a friend of mine who was a soccer player, but that's not strictly biography. Yeah. Well, uh, you sacrificed. Um, you know, one of the things that the stories that have been told over and over about Enzo is that he was rather harsh and that he was so driven to win. If you talk about the racing years, which has always been the racing years, that he almost threw away the people. Not that may sound very harsh the way I'm saying it, but I think you know what I'm talking about people uh, say oh he didn't care about his drivers they died big deal move on to the next thing i have a hard time believing that yeah because it's not true i thank you i agree with you i mean i mean the, i mean the, the fact that it was harsh this is one of the reasons why i wanted to write this book yes he was harsh but you and i can be harsh at times but we're not harsh all the time right and neither was Enzo. again in a stereotype or the necessity to get somebody into 300 pages but there is more um, you know, that's what I, that's exactly what I wanted to get. Like, you know, I knew he could be harsh. Uh, he sometimes he would get, you know, one driver against the other. But then again, you get people like John Surtees, who became world champion and famously uh, had a big quarrel when he left with Enzo Ferrari, who still said to me, it's a, it's, it's, it's a fantasy, the fact that he put, put drivers one against the others. Just like a, it's, it's like a rumor spread by those who were not good enough to live up to the challenge. Mm. <laughs> Again, you know, it, it, this is a guy who won a world championship with Forenzo and then left uh, slamming the door. Um, so this is, you know, this is precisely what I set out to do. I tried to get beyond, beyond the harshness and, and, and everything else. And then again, like, you know, Big stereotype, the fact that he would not, he didn't care about his drivers dying. That's not true. How can that be true? Enzo had been a driver himself. He had been a racing driver himself in the 1920s. He knew exactly what these guys were, were up against. Right. Well, nice to put that one to rest, for sure. Because it's always lingered out there, and it's always, I don't want to believe that at all. But it's, it's, a, it's, a very, it's a very simplistic way. They say... They say the same thing of Colin Chapman of Lotus. Right. Yep. And yet, talk to the people who were there. Talk to his, what, when I talked to his wife about Colin Chapman's, you know, six months following the death of Jim Clark. You know, they were afraid that he would take his own life. And, 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 and Colin had not been a driver. Enzo had been a driver. So he knew exactly what these guys with these drivers were, were, were facing. We're all about. Yeah. One of the things I ask is a special vehicle story, and I want to twist this up from your perspective, probably impossible question, but is there one, if I was sitting here with Enzo and asked him the question, is there one special vehicle in your life when you look back that stands out for you? Which vehicle was it? If I could twist that into your perspective through learning about the man, which Ferrari was it? Well, Enzo was famous for, you know, he would always answer to this question, my favorite car is the next one. Right. You know, he was looking forward. I was like the one attributed to Ferdinand Porsche. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, you know, which makes sense if you think about it, right. you know. Yeah. Uh, you always try to, to better yourself. So he would say, you know, to the question, which car is your favorite one? He would say the next one. Which victory of your racing team is the best one? The next one. The truth is that he liked two plus twos, so the larger cars, the normally V12, two plus yeah. two, because I guess he understood that by the time. Th there is a great story, by the way, because like you know, it's um, you know, 
when Italy, when when Enzo starts his company, which is nineteen forty-seven, let's say it's actually before, but the first car is, is in nineteen forty-seven. Italy is, is in the middle of a reconstruction after World War Two, so he asked many loans from the banks. And he there's a, this wonderful quote by Enzo who said, like, you know, if by any chance the three directors of the three major banks in Modena had dinner together one night and discussed their business. You know, the next day, I would be out of business. And they all loaned him money, right? <laughs> exactly. The truth is, the truth is that he never overspent, of course. And uh, and uh, but at one point, one journalist in Italy in the mid nineteen fifties asked him, you know, why don't you buy a Ferrari? Why, I mean, no, why, why don't you uh, drive a Ferrari? And he said, I don't drive a Ferrari except for those that he tested, of course, you know. But I don't, I don't own a Ferrari because I don't think that a man with my debts in bank, my bank debts, you know, should afford, could afford, yeah. <laughs> and, should be, and should be seen around, should be seen driven around, uh, driven around a Ferrari. The truth, which is a great line of self, self irony, of course, and he was good at this. The truth is that by the time he finally bought his first Ferrari, was um. It was a two plus two, and never, never red. Always like you know, you know, light blue or silver gray. You know, all those things that you don't associate with Ferrari. You know, those cars would be Enzo's Ferrari. What was your favorite learning about Enzo? The thing you learned with him. What What's your favorite thing that you uncovered? That was something that you went, "Wow, my admiration is even greater now." Well, there is a lot. There's a lot that he that he did and never spoke about that he did for the resistance in Italy um, during World War II and uh, for for the for the Partigiani, which is the resistance fighters. Um, he would let them use Maranello, you know, the factory, you know, some you know uh, parts of the factory. He would use the permit of, of circulating at night that his company had. He would give like the the, the company truck to the resistance and they would move around with like moving weapons from one place to the other because they had this pass that they could use. Right. And if they had been stopped and checked, you know, yeah, I don't think how this the would have ended. And uh, there is a, the, and my, my favorite story about, about the war is something that Enzo never told anybody until 1986, two years before he died. And, uh, one of the illest, greatest journalists, who was a personal friend of mine and of my father's, Luca Goldoni, who actually passed away three months ago, went to Maranello to interview him on his 88th birthday. And en passant, you know, almost like, you know, uh, casually, he mentioned that during World War II, he hid um, a mother, a, a Jewish mother of Polish origins and her two daughters in one of his places in the countryside and that he would actually go and bring food to them. He never, never, ever spoke about Talk this. about that. Yeah. Wow. It's incredible. These are the kind of things that uh, a, a book of this magnitude brings out. For you listeners, real simple title, Enzo Ferrari, Politics and the Making of an Automotive Empire. I will put links to how you get your hands on this book on the show notes page, but it's very easy to find or here in the U.S. You just go to uh, David Bull Publishing. There's a location there. Having learned all of this about Mr. Ferrari, if I could take you on what I call the ultimate drive, and you're a regular listener, and I appreciate that. You were telling me you and your son like to listen to cars. Yeah, we do. If I could park 
any Ferrari in front of your garage, and you and your son could jump in and go for a ride with Enzo Ferrari, because as you know, in my magical world, I can bring people back from the past. Which Ferrari would you guys be in, and where would you go for a drive, and what's the first question you would ask Enzo? Well, okay, the first question I would ask Enzo, because it's something I've been playing with in my mind for so long, is whether he liked my book or not. Oh, there you go. Uh, of course, of course. Well, I mean, <laughs> but not because of the writing, just because of the fact that there is a great quote. Again, Enzo is very famous also for wonderful quotes. And one of my favorite is, after all that I've been through, after all that I've been that I've done, you know, when when I'll be gone, I just want to be forgotten. Wow. Uh, which I don't think reflects the truth, of course. But that's something that he says. It's a, it's a great and it's a great quote. So for somebody who loves Enzo like myself. Who went? Who wrote a book, eleven hundred pages long, one thousand in English? Um, I would be curious to see whether he's upset with me just because I did it, not necessarily for what I wrote in it, yeah. but just going to this. Um, one, the car that I would like to, uh, well, actually, you know, Ains of course would always drive, so he'll have he'll have to be the one driving. Okay, uh, so it's got to be guess. a two plus two then if you're going to be with your son, right? Exactly, but because uh, yeah, but you know, the, my okay, my favorite Ferrari, which is the one I would choose, is actually a two-seater. So my son Nico is actually lo- uh, taller than me, so he would sit in the front, and I would somehow screw <laughs> in the back okay. behind the seat. Okay. Is the 1963 same year of birth, my year of birth, the 250 uh, show uh, show wheel show wheel base SWB? Yeah, okay. It's, it's 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 my all-time favorite. I mean, I like the Daytona, I like the GTO, I like so many other Ferraris. But the 250 show wheelbase, it's beautiful enough. It's aggressive enough. It's uh, it's, uh, it's it's it looks like it's 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 getting. It's it, to me, it, it always looked like a lion ready to jump. Yes, you know, there's yeah. this mouth ready to jump or to bite the, the the road, and that's my favorite. I think it's probably my favorite Ferrari. And uh, okay, well, my favorite drive would be my favorite drive would be the Dolomites, but because Enzo is so fond was so fond of his Emilia Romagna region, and Emilia is such a beautiful region, I would ask him to go south from Maranello, you know, on those hills that he would drive on even before he had a company, you know, yeah. but in the in the in the during World War One before he was called to join and, and joined he when he finally got his his driving uh, license he would take his father's car and just go and drive you know up the up on the hills uh, south of Modena maybe dreaming of being a, a driver so that's what I would like to go with him yeah I'll tell you I uh, was in Bologna and got a driver took me to the Ferrari factory and as we were driving we didn't go really on a highway we went back through oh And he said, you're bringing back a wonderful memory. He goes, you know, this is the area that Enzo Ferrari, because we were going to Ferrari, first used to take his dad's car and drive. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, there there you go. I mean, and he was pointing out things. And it was such a a magical time going. That was my first visit to the Ferrari factory. Yeah, it was quite special. Well, the 250 shirt wheelbase has a special place for me. It's one of my all-time favorite Ferraris. And I did get to drive Actually, two of them in one day in Florida. One is owned by a friend of mine who's been a guest here, Judd Dayton. He's had that car for a long, long time. And the other was a guy that was staying at the Breakers 
during the Cavallino event and his car was, yeah, his car was sitting there and it was a silver one. And I I walked up and I said, oh, I just got to drive one of these today. My best, you know, my best fondest Ferrari ever. And he goes, well, how many people could say they drove two in one day? Here, take it for a drive. I'll be in the bar. And he tossed me the key. He didn't even know me. Now he knew me from the company I was with. But so I jumped in the car with the guy I was with and we went for a drive and I went, how does this happen? Right. It's a great, it's, it's a great story. It was very generous of the, oh the owner. Which, by the way, it's not as as you well know. It's not an easy car to drive. Uh, no, it's a little yeah, a little tough. But I will tell you, when I drove Judd's, it was at the uh, racetrack, and and he was saying, "Look, don't hold back. You got to rev this thing." Let it go, uh-huh. you know, because I was being careful and freaked out and everything. But, uh, well, I like that. I like that. You know, we could talk for hours about this, but I, I really want to thank you for coming on the show and sharing this book. And I can't emphasize enough to the listeners out there. I know there's been a lot of books written by Enzo, but I will say, and I have a lot of them, this is the one you want to read because the in-depthness of what you've done here, Luca, is quite spectacular. And I wonder if you could leave us, as you know, we always do here at Cars Yeah, with some Words of inspiration, whether they be from your lips or from Enzo's, you already did that one quote where he supposedly said, I want to be forgotten. I have a hard time believing that one too. Are there some words of inspiration you could leave us with today? Well, I well, I mean, there are so many great quotes by Enzo, you know, that uh, there is, um, you know, he was, uh, he was very down to earth. So like, you know, he would get all this, uh, some of these quotes from like, you know, the, the Italian tradition or popular tradition. But uh, I think that the one which is quoted very often, it's like, in the end, I'm, re- I'm really, I'm nothing, he said. I'm only somebody who dreamed to be Ferrari. And it's, it says it all because he doesn't use his first name, just Ferrari, the name, the company, the myth. And uh, and this idea of the dream, I've always said, you know, I, I, I even before I, I, I set, out, set out to write this book, I always found this parallelism between Enzo Ferrari and Walt Disney. You know, people who oh, could dream, interesting. people who could dream, people who were gifted, but were not necessarily the best at what they were doing, the ability of you know, surrounding themselves with the best technicians, the best driver, the best draw, people drawing, and the best artist. And, you know, this ability, this, I understand that Walt was much easier to get along with than Enzo was, according to all the, 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 the testimonies that I've seen. But I think there's a, there's a great, there's good resemb- resemblance between Enzo and Walt Disney because of their vision and the ability to achieve a goal. There's a book with a, with a great subtitle that came out 20 years ago about Ronald Reagan. I don't remember the name, the title, actually, to be honest right now, which I think, when, I think the title was When Character Was King. But the, the subtitle was, if I remember correctly, and I don't miss the books, How an Ordinary Man Became uh, an Extraordinary Leader. Yes, that book was by Dinesh D'Souza, a wonderful book. I think that the same thing can be said of both Walt Disney and Enzo Ferrari. Probably Walt was actually more gifted than Enzo was. But but both of them were able to, you know, start something which is probably bigger than themselves, which is something they could never have achieved by themselves, but by working with other people, by creating a team, by motivating people. 
And I think this is this is special because you know you don't have to be born you know Tiger Wood to become a great champion. Of course, you want to play golf. Uh, golf you have, but what I'm saying is, in in so many other businesses, you know, you 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 can achieve something if you if you if you if you learn how to work with people. And I think both Enzo Ferrari and Walt Disney. Did that for sure. Well, interesting. You mentioned Walt Disney because uh, next week I'm having a guest on the show who is uh, Bob Gurr, okay. who is the very first Imagineer who worked with Walt Disney. He's the one that designed a lot of the rides and things in the first Disneyland, which was the one I went to because I lived an hour and a half away and went there many, many times. So I'll have to ask Bob's opinion because he's a car guy too, of his opinion of what you've said. And we'll see what he has to say when I get to talk to him next week. I want to do a shout out. Thank you to a couple people who brought us together today. Luca, Maria Bull, who was David Bull or is David Bull's sister. Uh, Judy Stropas, who brings me so many tremendous people. Jeff Anderson at Pistol Creek for introducing uh, me to you and sending me a book uh, very quickly. So I had a chance to take a look at it before you came on the show. Luca, Thank you for spending just, I mean, again, we could talk forever and ever about this, but for spending time with me, but more so for getting in-depth at the real guy who was Enzo Ferrari. Again, I encourage listeners to get your hands on this book. It's very easy to find. I'll put links in the show notes page. And you know what? Books make great gifts. It's holiday season. If you want to buy your car buddies something that they will keep forever, and cherish and probably go back to and will fill their time in the new year. This is the book to get them. So there's a tip for you to make things really easy. Until you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. Thank you so much for having me on the show. You're welcome. This was fabulous. 20, 50, 100 years from now, will there be a workforce to care for the collector vehicles we love? With auto shop programs disappearing across the country, it's a question we enthusiasts have to ask. That's why I support the RPM Foundation, which exists to ensure that the critical skills necessary to preserve and restore these vehicles aren't lost to time. One of the many ways RPM, which is short for Restoration, Preservation, and Mentorship, is accomplishing this goal is through workforce development initiatives. The RPM Apprenticeship Program enables the next generation of artisans to earn a living while they learn the craft of restoring and preserving these vehicles directly from industry professionals. The Endangered Skills Program documents the process of masters training future craftspeople on a variety of critical skills in danger of being lost forever. For more information on how the RPM Foundation is driving the future of the collector vehicle skills trade, visit RPM Foundation today. They're one of the charities of choice here on Cars Yeah! Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up! A fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!